What's up, LOH? Church has already started, huh? Wow, awesome, awesome. Hey, Livestream, we love you. You are a part of our church, and we want you to know that every single week. We are so glad that you're with us, and we love getting feedback from you as, you, we, as we do. Thank you for all the encouraging things you share about uh, our church and what it means to you. And, and those of you out there, uh, my buddy Lyle up there in Canada, appreciate you, know, you so much, man. And there are people all over this country that's, you know what, I've heard this, I wish we had an LOH. I hear that all the time. We're so thankful for what God is doing here, but you're a part of that with us. And, uh, and we just believe, listen, our, our live stream was not created so that when you're on vacation, you can watch a sermon. As, as great as that is, and we love that, our live stream is created so that you, after going home today, will get on Facebook or whatever, whatever your social media and share this word in this service. How many of you know that people need to see and experience what we experienced already today? Send it out. Throw it up in the, in the air and let the wind of the Spirit take it to whosoever. That's the reason we do live stream. That's the reason we do live stream. We want the Word of God to go out. These swords on this altar are, are just blowing my mind right now. This is so encouraging to see, so powerful to see. We've been uh, sharing a series called Excalibur, using the the Camelot, King Arthur motif about the sword and the code of the kingdom of Camelot. And we're going to conclude today with a message I've titled for King and Kingdom. The knights of King Arthur brought their swords to the round table as one man, dedicated completely to the kingdom of Camelot and its king, Arthur. And Arthur dedicated himself to the kingdom and the knights of the round table and the people. They dedicated themselves completely one to another. My favorite movie about Camelot and King Arthur is the movie First Night. Sean Connery, my man James Bond, played a great role of King Arthur, Sean Connery. The ladies who grew up in the 60s thought he was all that and more. But also, it starred Richard, huh? But also, also, all that and more, but also, Richard Gere was in that movie. And ladies that grew up in the 80s thought Richard Gere was all that and more. But listen, if you want, don't Google either one of them now because they don't look the same anymore. But anyway, they did a great job in that movie. I love that movie, First Night, and if you've not seen it, Google it or uh, uh, iTunes it or whatever you do, but watch it, and, and all this, 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 these messages will just blow up in, a, in an even more powerful way. But there's, there's a scene, I'm going to refer to a couple scenes in that movie as we go through this today, but there's a scene from the movie when the Knights of the Round Table and Arthur himself placed their swords on the table together in a circle, and they pledge honor to each other with these words. Brother to brother, in life and in death. Camelot will be debated as to whether it was a myth in total or in part. A romantic legend more in imagination than what might have been in reality. I'm not here to disprove or prove Camelot. We've been speaking of a real kingdom. A real king. We've been talking about a real world 
faith and a real battle in it. A real-life legacy offered to all of us, all of us, by the grace and the mercy and the love of our exalted King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you honor his presence in the room one more time today? Lord, if it had not been for you on our side, oh God, we thank you and we honor you today, great King. We've been talking about the Word of God the inspired living word of God, which is sharper than the sharpest sword. A living book. This is a living book handed down to us from holy men of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe it is verbally inspired. What that means is we believe God not only inspired men to write words, but God inspired men to write the exact words he wanted them to write over centuries and millennia. Men of God were used by God to give us this living and holy and sacred witness, finalized by the Apostle John's word, a final canon of Scripture, and it is a sword. It is a sword. Later at the end of this message... We will symbolically come before our King in one holy moment to pledge again by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to treasure this Word, this sword of the Spirit, together as one for King and the Kingdom. Would you pray with me one more time? You love us so much we believe the unbelievable, that God, O oh King of heaven, you are for us and not against us. You've given us your word. Draw us close to one another and to you in a renewed sacred honor and a passion for our King, for your kingdom, and for each other. Help us to pick up the book, to take this powerful sword in our cleansed hands and renewed hearts today, sealed in the Spirit of God. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one more time on the screen. One more time on the screen. Here we are. The three McGees. In the movie First Night, Lancelot says, Do you want to know how to win a sword fight? Be the only one with a sword. It looks to me like Graham Slam is going to be the victor, Dad, over Pap, Pacha, and Daddy. He's the only one with a sword in that picture. I want to review for a minute. Where have we been so far over the last month? Where have we been? We started with the message, Echoes of the Dead. And we said, pick up the book. The great sacrifice that was made to get the word of the Lord into our hands. Pick up the book. And then we talked about the battle that rages. We were born to reign, but born into a battle. And we, we must seize the sword. 
And I ask you to say this with me on that Sunday, and I ask you to say it with me right now again. Ready? For when the power of this book becomes a sword in your hand, the enemy can never win. And Pastor Dustin last week shared an amazing word. Amazing word. Sheathe your sword. Meaning there is a time to strike with the sword and the time to put it away. It's to be holy, honored, and revered. The Bible is filled with stories of great knights, men and women, who were commanded and commissioned by the Lord to do something in their time. And the importance of the sword was seen in every one of these commissions because they would need the sword in the battles they would fight. Night one, Joshua. He was commanded by the Lord to take the land promised. And here's what the Lord said to him. Be strong and very courageous. Notice this regarding the word of God. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book. Keep this book of the law, what? Always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Why is that important? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Night two, Ezra. Ezra was commissioned to go to Jerusalem after the Israelites had been banished due to disobedience to Babylon for 70 years. Then God stirred heaven and earth, a pagan king to have favor on the people of God and pay for them to go back and rebuild the temple of the Lord. And Ezra was called in that group to establish the house of the Lord by the word of God, lay a foundation for the temple based on the word of God. And this is the description of Ezra. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked. Why? For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Listen, the most important thing in life is to live in a way that God has his hand on your life. Don't ever mistake talent, charisma, giftedness, intelligence. Don't ever mistake what is really important for what really is not as important. What is really important is to have the hand of the Lord on our life and the hand of the Lord on our church. I said the hand of the Lord on our church. Verse 8, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. Why was it so fast that he got to where God wanted him to be? Why? For the gracious hand of his God was on him. Things can happen in your life and in my life swiftly. By the grace of God, when his hand is on our life. Why was God's hand on Ezra's life? Verse 10. For Ezra had 
devoted himself to the study and observance, that means doing it, of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Night three, Nehemiah. The temple is open to enemy attack unless a wall is built around the city. And Nehemiah's role, along with Ezra, was to protect the people of God by building a wall of protection. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Listen, anything we're going to build for God, led by God. Now, if we build something God isn't in, forget about it. The big bad wolf will snap his fingers and it'll fall down. But when the Lord builds something, nothing can bring, break it down. But we have a responsibility to protect the work of the Lord as it goes up by building a wall of protection around it. Nehemiah, whose name in Hebrew means comforter of Yahweh. I wonder who that is. Holy Spirit. Nehemiah is a book of, 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 of a ministry, a model of the Holy Spirit building protection around the people of God. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The, the watchman on the wall stayed close to the Holy Spirit because when they'd see the enemy, they'd blow the trumpet and they'd rally to defend the place where the enemy was attacking. And I'm not even in my message yet. Night four. Deborah, ladies, we can't leave you out. Do you know what would happen if we left the ladies out of the church? There wouldn't be one. Deborah, let me tell you her story. The enemy was ravaging the people of God, and their leader wouldn't stand up and fight. He was a man. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Deborah, and she took up the sword. These are her words after God used her to stand up and win a great victory. Ready? The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. The enemy was destroying the villages and the people in it. And the king was allowing it and the men were not doing anything about it. And then a woman rose up. Praise God. I'm a woman guy. I am. I wouldn't be here without a woman. The, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. America. What brought the enemy inside the gates? They chose new gods. Is that plain? Is that racism? Just asking. People are crazy and times are strange. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? In other words, there were 40,000 men that could have stood up and no shield, no spear stood up. 
But my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. In other words, when I stood up, some men gathered around and we won the battle. Ladies, only you. I want you to read out loud with me from verse 7 to 9. Ready, go. That's not good enough. Let's do it again. That's a church I used to belong to. This is a different church. Ready, go. Bless the Lord. Let's thank God for the women of God in our church. Hallelujah. Come on now. Now I want to talk to you for a minute about the code of our king and tie this in with Dustin's message from last week. There is a time to fight. There is a time to use our sword properly. And we use our sword against the right enemy. For the code of our kingdom toward our brothers and sisters is not a code of enmity, not a code of suspicion, but of humble service to each other and to have each other's back. Here's the code of our kingdom. John 15, 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. These swords that are here are very dangerous if love isn't bathing our heart, brother to brother, in life and in death. Giovanni Boccaccio wrote a, a book called On the Fates of Famous Men in the 1300s, and in that he gives us the code of Camelot. Here was the code of the vows that the Knights of the Round Table made to one another. Never lay down your arms. To seek after wonders. Listen. If you believe or preach that the wonders of God have ceased, if the gifts of the Spirit of God have ceased, you are going into a battle against an enemy completely fortified who is, has a full arsenal. And if you believe that the gifts no longer are alive, the wonders of God have ceased, you're going against tanks and heavy armor as if you're Fred and Barney Rubble driving the Flintstone mobile. If you're a dispensationalist and you believe the book of Revelation is yet to come, but you believe that all the gifts have ceased, I have a question for you. Why are there people on the earth before the coming of Christ who have the ability to call down fire from heaven, make it stop raining, and start back up at their command? Why is it that the same dragon that fights the last day's army is still fighting today, but God, for some crazy, illogical reason, has ceased from giving us the power the dunamis needed in every generation to fight the fight. Think logically, friend. 
Never lay down your arms to seek after wonders. Defend rights of weak with all one's strength. Injure no one, not to attack one another. Come on, Facebook. Come on, you Facebook watchmen. Brother to brother in life and in death. Fight for the safety of country. Give one's life for country. Never break faith for any reason. Seek nothing before honor. Practice your faith most diligently. Witness with greatest fidelity at any cost for truth. See, grace breaks us before it makes us. Grace breaks and then makes knights out of humble servants of the word. Let me give you an illustration once again from first night. Lancelot has come to the kingdom of Camelot. Arthur says to him, God uses people like you, Lancelot, because your heart is open. You hold nothing back. You give all of yourself. Lancelot says, if you knew me better, you would not say such things. Arthur, oh, hey, I take the good with the bad together. I can't love people in slices. Sounds like Jesus to me. Our great king, Jesus, said to Simon Barjona, who he called Peter, you are Simon, but you shall be called Peter, a rock. And what we know from Peter's life, he was a fragile stone, wasn't he? But Jesus would make him a faithful and loyal friend. I said Jesus would make him, but he broke him first, didn't he? He allowed Satan to sift him like wheat. After the first great catch, Peter was overwhelmed when he realized his character was deeply flawed in contrast to the character of perfection that stood before him. And Simon, realizing this, thought, if Jesus really knew me, he wouldn't even want me, let alone commission me as an apostle and use me. And Jesus knew Simon thought that and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for men. My heart for all my kids, Michaela, Brandon, Devin, Savannah, Mason, Shelby, Graham Slam, and the little blueberry that's getting ready to be born out there in Pasadena, California. My heart for all my kids has always been that they know the living God. Love Jesus Christ with all their heart more than anything else or anyone else. Cherish the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. My heart has always been that they would grow up in the Lord's presence and in His house. In His house! Where you can become a fruitful servant and a pillar in the house of the Lord and lead a new generation. Why is that important? My prayer is the same for you and your kids. I promise you this, LOH. I vow it. I will spend the rest of my days not waiting on tables, but leading my family and yours and leading this city. 
I've been given a mission to see a new generation grow up, and I'm going to build that wall, and I'm not going to come off it. To see God call and develop trained warriors for the king and the kingdom. Why is that important? Because we have too many empty church buildings, and we have a whole lot of aging saints, and the world is broken, and the dragon is fuming, but the wheels of God's chariot are still on fire. Hallelujah. And the angels are ready to do battle for the souls of the blind and the bound and the broken. And God is calling to fill the seats around the round table. Young men and young women of a new generation trained for war, trained to use the sword skillfully. Why is it so important? Because the West has been in trouble for generation after generation. From the day I was born and soon after, post-traumatic stress disorder began and is still playing a role in, our, in the Western world today. I believe it started on November 23rd, 1963. That was the day after a fine young president was shot down. Not long after that, the president's widow, Jackie, asked Bobby Kennedy, her brother-in-law, to set up an interview with a journalist she had a word to share with the country. And she talked about being in the back seat on that terrible, tragic Friday morning right after lunch in Dealey Plaza. But then she went on to reminisce about Jack and what he loved to do in the evenings before he fell off to sleep. She said... Jack liked to play some records. His back hurt. The floor was so cold, I'd get out of bed at night and play it for him. When it was so cold getting out of bed on a Victrola. Victrola, anybody? <laughs> Remember? Ten years old. And the song he loved most came at the very end of this record, The Last Side of Camelot. See, back in the day, they had these things called records. And you could only put so many songs on one side, then you had to flip it over. They had these things on the wall, and you have to go over and stand and talk right there. <laughs> anyway, the end, of the, the end of the Camelot record says this, and this is what Jackie wanted the country to hear. She was traumatized. Trauma can take all of your life out of you. Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. And then she said, there'll never be another Camelot again. The hopes of the nation had flown so high before that Friday. The space program was literally heading to the moon. And in the collective psyche of young people, those hopes were killed that day. That's true. Those kids are leading our country today. Vietnam, race riots, assassinations. Within five years, three of the most promising, most popular leaders in our country were shot dead. Drugs and more drugs, political division and corruption, broken marriages, the sexual revolution became an evolution. Greed and cocaine in the 80s like never before. AIDS. 
Confused men and women not knowing their true natures. And then church scandals of big-name preachers. The Clinton scandal. The blue dress. Political division while Osama bin Laden was plotting to bring down the towers. Post-traumatic stress disorder. From the White House to our house and the church house. And there is still a collective psyche of it. I'm not certain what you'd call our times, except crazy. But see, people, there is only one true Camelot. And it's not a myth. And it's beyond anything a Camelot could ever be or imagine to be. It's called the kingdom of God. The everlasting, come on now, the enduring, the unshakable kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is always ours to receive. God with us. The King lives. The King lives. And those from the dead are echoing their voice today. Just as Deborah is asking, when new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? I ask you, who will rise? Who will rise? Or shall we just manage church? Shall we just manage this little thing here? I said this little thing here. And just manage our little life. While the enemy has come into the gates. While good men sleep. And churches with 400 seats have 40 people. All over the age of 60 saying, what are we going to do now? Who will rise? We have been given a commission. And if we fail, we fail God. I care not anybody else's opinion. And I will not wait tables. We need to fight the real enemy because he's loose. We need to raise up warriors who break through the prison gates where Satan has bound people for two generations, lost, and as Paul describes them, without hope and without God in the world. Are you listening? But God is still speaking to us from first night again. This is the heart of Camelot. Not these stones, not these timbers, these palaces and towers. Burn them all. And Camelot lives on because it lives in us. Camelot is a belief that we hold in our heart. Jesus reigns over an unshakable kingdom. And he will shake everything that can be shaken so that only those things that cannot be shaken may remain. Behold, our king is a warrior king who is looking to train humble servants for battle. Will we... Answer that call. I ask you, I ask me, do I believe in the king and the kingdom, brother to brother, in life and in death? Let me ask you, let me ask me, will I live and even die for the king and his cause? Or, or, 
Will we fight one another? Be divided. I know of no division in our church, so this isn't one of those messages where I've slipped it in to, to fix whatever. I know of none of that. You can't have worship like we have on Sunday morning with a bunch of knuckleheads fighting each other. The Holy Spirit doesn't fall in a church by accident. It's, it's a crown of the heart on the people. We'll be, be divided. We'll be so discord. In the movie First Night, King Arthur, who loved Lancelot, is deeply hurt by him. Why? Because Lancelot has an affair with Arthur's beloved Guinevere. Listen, listen closely. I don't have the clip. I wish I did. I thought about just showing the whole movie and say, okay, right here I mean the... <laughs> Watch it. Anyway. His trusted knight Lancelot had an affair with his beloved Guinevere, and Arthur's bitterly hurt. He's wounded. Lancelot, the trusted one, is now hated, literally hated by Arthur. Blinded by the pain of a truly unjust betrayal, truly unjust betrayal by two people he loved dearly. He fails to realize that the enemy, Maligant, is coming to invade Camelot and destroy it. He's been waiting for the perfect opportunity. Arthur is blinded by a just pain of betrayal and takes his eyes off the wall. Maligant enters with his army and doom is certain. Arthur is captured and paraded out in front of all the citizens, Maligant forces Arthur to come and bow before him and turn Camelot over to him or the people will die and Camelot will burn. And it's at this time in the movie, played so well by Sean Connery, that Arthur says these words. He's going to act as if he's surrendering to Maligant, and he says this, I have no pride left in me. And that was true. Some of us gunslingers are only shooting our truth bullets because we're full of ourselves. We're defending things that don't matter. While Maligant is plotting, our swords could be used for a much higher honorable purpose. Arthur says, I have no pride left in me. And then he says, what I do now, I do for my people and for Camelot. This is my last act as your king. Maligant thinks he's going to surrender Excalibur to him. But instead, Arthur stands and boldly shouts with a loud voice, I am Arthur of Camelot, and I command all of you now to fight. Fight like you've never fought before. Never surrender. Never surrender. Never surrender. Camelot lives. And an arrow pierces Arthur's heart. 
and the people rise up and fight and defeat Maligant. See, friends, when we pick these swords up in a minute, they are for a high and noble purpose. We must not lose sight of the real fight. It's not with people. It's not with each other. This sword is for the battle against demons, devils, and darkness. As Nehemiah says in this passage, here's why we fight. After I looked things over, the Holy Spirit, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, this is like Arthur, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and ready. Fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. And fight for your homes. I'm going to say it again. I am Tim McGregor. I am called by the Spirit of God to stand in this city, in this church. And I say to you, fight like you've never fought before. But fight the right enemy. Fight with the sword. Fight. Fight. Remember the Lord. He is great and He is awesome. And fight for your family. Fight for your friends. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your homes. Fight for the city. Fight for the country. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Baptist boy, I was thinking about old Tucker today. I thought, I mean, I was raised up to eat Baptist cereal, and I know Tucker was too, and we're still Baptists, and I found myself in the Assembly of God family, and I love my Baptist heritage, and I love my AG heritage, but I'll tell you what, I, I, it did me good seeing my brother you know what? Don't do anything like that if it's not the Holy Spirit. But if it's the Holy Spirit, do what you're supposed to do. Amen. Last week when Dustin was speaking about using the sword honorably and fighting the right battle and knowing when to put it away, the Holy Spirit came on me strongly sitting about right where Tim Wharton is right now and I wrote these things down. Listen to them. Uh, if you believe they're God, I believe they're God. He said, Tim, I want you to research the Camelot Code, but I want you to revere my kingdom code. Love for one another. I don't need you to defend me. I need you to reflect me. I don't need you to defend me. I need you to reflect me. And then he said this. Reflect the light and truth of his kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Defend my people against the enemy. Raise up young warriors to fight for my cause. Listen. LOH, this is all of us. Pull the arrows out of the hearts of the wounded and heal them and teach them this book. Call for young squires. I will make them warrior knights. Melt them down. This is God. He said, I will melt them down and then build them up into my gold standard. So they will be brothers and sisters, heart to heart, 
in life and in death. So here we are. I ask you, are we at the end of a series or the beginning of a destiny? Lancelot said in the movie, there is a peace that comes only on the other side of winning a war. If that war should come, I will fight it. Will we? Today, we will symbolically come before our King in a holy moment to pledge again by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to treasure His Word, the sword of the Spirit, as one for the King and the kingdom. As you stand, and as our music plays, I'm going to ask you to come and find, listen, I'm going to ask you to come and find your sword. Remember Excalibur? Remember Arthur as a young boy? Remember he, wants, he goes to the stone? Whoever can pull the sword out of the stone will rule. I believe by faith that as you come, if you will come as Arthur saying, walking this way, walking this way, say like Arthur, I have no pride left in me. You're coming to your sword now, walking to the altar of God as a young knight, and you're saying, I have no pride left in me. Lord, you know me. And Jesus says this back to you as you pick up your sword, trembling before his word. He says, God uses people like you, Tim, Trey. God uses people like you, Lancelot. Because your heart is open, you hold nothing back, you give all of yourself. I take the good with the bad because I can't love you in pieces. I invite you, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, of which I am one, come before the great king in humility and pick up your sword at the altar of God. Behold, Excalibur.